the week leading up to Easter, you know, we had that big uh, helicopter Easter egg drop, and God just blew our minds with thousands and thousands of people actually coming to our campus that day. But we said going into that week, we said, we got two big weeks coming up. And so church, would you set aside some time and would you ask God to do in our midst what only God can do? And so we got through that Easter egg drop and, and then we talked about this verse. And I just want to share this with you. I just want to celebrate this with you. It says from Ephesians chapter uh, 3 verse 20. It says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ through all generations forever and ever and here's the thing when we look at these last two weeks we can just say this huge thank you to God because didn't he do it he did immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine we're not surprised we don't look at it and go wow we're shocked that God you can move in that way but we look at it and go Wow, we will be a church that we hit the pause button, we look back, and we say, thank you, God. Because, right, I mean, 76 changed lives in Jesus Christ. We celebrate that as a church. It's, it's phenomenal. So, I too, I just want to say this to you. I want to say thank you as a church. Um, thank you because you create the kind of place where people can come and they can find Jesus Christ. You create places for our coworkers and for our neighbors and for our friends and our family. And so thank you. Thank you for the way that you serve. Thank you for the way that you give. Thank you for the things that you do that nobody even knows that you do. A um, couple highlights for me just uh, from last weekend. This, that one of them was a huge one for me. Had a conversation last Sunday afternoon with a neighbor that we, a uh, couple that we've uh, really gotten to know. We love and care for them. And Got to invite them, and he just said to me on Sunday afternoon, he said, God really touched me this morning. And um, I thought to myself, sorry, I thought to myself, God, thank you for what you did. And then my second thought was, thank you, church. Because, again, you created these, the, a place for them to come. You create good places for people's lives to be changed. Um, it was so fun last Saturday. I was thinking about this guy in our church who hadn't been here in a while. At least I hadn't seen him in a while. And, um, and I thought to myself, he's gone, gone through a lot of just tough uh, personal things. It's a hard, got, he's walked a hard road in the last uh, couple of years even. And I just thought to myself, um, I just said a little prayer for him. And then I thought, how cool would it be if not only does he come on Easter Sunday, but if he gets baptized on Easter. And I had no idea whether he's even been baptized before. And, and so I'll tell you what, I'm sitting over there during second service, and the service is ending, and I about, it about blew my mind when I saw this guy walk up, get into the tank, and be baptized right there. Or this is another just, and again, so many stories like this, but this guy that came to the Easter egg drop, and then he comes the next two weeks to church, he hears about Jesus Christ, and if you could have seen him standing in the baptism tank, I'm not sure, I think third service maybe, and just the look on his face, you could tell that the power of God was doing something so significant in his life. And so again, church, it is a privilege, isn't it, um, to see God change lives. There's nothing greater that we can be a part of than to help people experience the love and the grace of God, to help them find, and then for us to do everything we can to help people follow Jesus Christ in a powerful way. And so this morning, um, I just want to, before we go any further, uh, just want to pray. And I uh, just kind of hit pause again and say, God, we're not going to just move on. We're going to say thank you because 
it's, it just doesn't get any better than seeing God work, does it? So, so yeah, let's, let's pray, and then uh, we'll jump into where we're going this morning. So, yeah, pray with me. Heavenly Father, um, I just thank you for this morning. And, um, <clears throat> God, we think about the people that you've brought to this place over the course of the last two weeks, and we are so incredibly grateful. And, Father, we just want to pause today and say, Lord, we will never tire of seeing lives changed. And so, God, would you allow the gospel to continue to go out? Would you continue to allow more and more people to find and ultimately to follow you? And, Father, we just pray that you would allow us to be a part of it, Lord. We pray that you would allow us to look in our circles of influence. And, Lord, might we see you continue to show up as you have been. Lord, this morning, as we dive into a new series now, we unapologetically ask you for more. And we just say, God, we lean into you. God, teach us this morning. Lord, would you have a word for us this morning? Maybe that we didn't expect, that we didn't see coming, but something that you have for the children that you love. And so, Father, thank you again for what you're doing. And um, it's a privilege, it's an honor, Lord, to worship you in this place. We pray this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Well, this morning, as Melissa said, we're starting a new series, and uh, this new series is called Love Can, and as she said, uh, this series, what's really fun about it is we're doing it in conjunction with about over, actually over 30 different churches in our city, and what gets us excited about this series is what it represents, because this series represents the fact that churches in our city, you can be encouraged, God's doing something significant in our city, and churches are beginning to see, okay, we can do greater things for the gospel, for the city, we can do greater things with the gospel of Jesus Christ if we actually work together. And it's a cool concept, right? And uh, I was talking to a guy that travels the country uh, working with churches. I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago. And he said, um, he said, what's happening in Omaha? He said, I'm not seeing it anywhere else. It's a special thing. And so be encouraged about what God is doing in our city. And I want to ask you to do this. In the coming weeks, these four weeks, when you see those two words, love can, throughout our city, would you stop and would you pray for the other churches in our city? And would you ask God, would you say, God, would you do something significant in the other life-giving churches in our city? And would you allow the gospel to go forth? Would you protect their, their teams and their volunteers and their staff? Okay, so, so that's what I'm asking you this morning. When you see those words, love can, let's be a church that we stop and we say, Lord, we want to pray a blessing on the different churches uh, in our city. Uh, so today, in this series, in, in uh, part one of it for us, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 4. And before we go there, um, before I read these verses to you, I want to ask you a, a question. And, and it's one of those questions that you kind of, you're going to have to think about it for a little bit. And then I want to even to encourage you, go back and ask this question later today. Because I think it can have a good, good impact on you. You got a name tag when you came in this morning. Looks like this. Should, be on, should have been on your seat. So grab that. Go ahead and take that out now. And you don't need to put your name on this. But I want this to be kind of a visual for you as we work through the text this morning. I want it to, to really drive home a point. And I want you to ask yourself this question. What word identifies you? Because when you get a name tag, you put your name on it, right? And, and that name identifies you as, as who you are, right? I mean, that's the main way that we identify people is by their name. But imagine for a second. Imagine that Jesus Christ was being interviewed. And the subject of the interview is you. And so Jesus is being interviewed, and the question that comes to him is this. Hey, so-and-so, and fill your name in that blank. You know them. You know them well. What's the one word that you would use to describe them? 
What's the one word that you would use Jesus to identify them? What's the one word that you would use Jesus that you would say, that defines them? Hello, my name is, and that word goes in the blank. The word that identifies you the best. What would that word be? Or imagine that the interviewee isn't, isn't Jesus Christ, but imagine it's a close friend. Or maybe it's a coworker, or it's a son, or it's a daughter. And they're asked that question in just one word. What's the one word? If you wrote it on a name tag, what's the one word that describes you, that it defines you? Maybe ask some people that even later today. So I want to read our text together. We'll come back to that. And I, I want to tell you a little bit about this text. First John chapter 4. We're going to actually we're going to look at a, a bigger section today. It's about 15 verses long. And you're going to notice this about the text that we're going to look at. It's not very linear in thought. And so if you like things kind of in a logical progression, you might look at this text and go, wow, what was the author thinking? I mean, he's all over. But here's what's happening. The author is going into this subject that we're going to hear about, and then he comes out, hits it from kind of a broad, broader level, a higher level, and then zooms right back in, goes at it in a different angle, comes back out, views it, looks at it from a different angle, and zooms right back in. And he's, what you're going to see is that it's exposing such rich things, such things that we should look at today and go, okay, God, would you teach us from this text? One of the gals on our team, she said this about 1 John chapter 4. She said, it's like eating a very rich dessert. She said, it's one of those texts that you just, man, you just take one bite and you just don't keep eating. It's just too rich. You got you to gotta slow down. This text is like that. You're going to find that this morning. So I'm going to read the whole thing to us. It starts in uh, 1 John chapter 4, uh, verse 7. It says this. It says, dear friends, which, which literally, other translations, they translate it this way. It means this, beloved. That's the tone by which the author is writing. Beloved. I'm writing to people that I care deeply about. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now we go to verse 9. Now this is kind of one of those summary verses of the entire Bible. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning, or you could say this, as a substitutionary, you could even say, sacrifice for our sins. Verse 11, dear friends, again, beloved, that's the tone. I love you, I care about you, he's writing to. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us, meaning God's love is made visible, God is made visible the way that we love. Verse 13, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. Verse 14, and we have seen and we testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, meaning this, if anyone proclaims faith in Jesus Christ, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and we rely on the love God has for us. It's saying it's our source. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And verse 17, again, now we're zooming out again, different angle. Here we go. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but for perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. But the, the one 
who fears is not made perfect in love. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love his brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they cannot see. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Now the overarching topic of this passage is pretty clear, isn't it? That word love in the context of just those 15 verses is said 27 times. It's pretty clear what, what the author is talking about. But isn't it true, that topic, love, it's an interesting one, isn't it? And it's even more interesting, I think, to define. Think of the thousands of songs that are written about love. Think about some of the common phrases that you've heard about love. You might hear somebody say something like this, he just needs some tough love. Somebody needs to set him straight. Think Judge Judy type, right? Or someone might say this, that's, that's real love. That right there is an example of genuine love. Or somebody in desperation might say, I thought that she loved me. And then she might say, well, I never really loved you, right? Or someone might say this, can't I just find true love? Now, the topic of love, I think we would all agree, it can be kind of confusing. And I think it becomes confusing even at an early age was putting our youngest to bed the other night on Wednesday night, and he asked me, he said, do you know, and then he named this little girl in his sister's third grade class, he said, do you know her? And I said, no, I've, I've heard the name, but I said, I've, I've never met her before. And then he said this to me, he said, oh, well, I've loved her for so long. <laughs> and he's not, if you know, he's not lovey-dovey, he's not cuddly, he's intense, He's aggressive, he's very competitive, and so I was a little bit surprised by his response, and so I said, you know, you know Pastor Dad always working on a sermon, so I said to him, I said, well, what does it mean, set up, that you love, you've loved her for so long? I mean, such a history here, you know? And so he looked at me, just tucked his little face over the covers, and he looked at me, and he replied this way. He said, it means that I want to tell her she is amazing. And I was like, that's true love, bro. Yeah, that's true love. And then I thought of that poor little girl. I thought she should run and hide, right? But isn't it true? Love is confusing. And here's why I think it's confusing. Because I can say in the same breath, I love nachos. I love nachos, like these ones, loaded nachos especially. I love them. But I can say in the same breath, I love my family deeply and mean it with all my heart. We can say a prayer together and we can say to God, Lord, we love you. Or I can leave the presence of a close friend and I can say, love you, bro. See you, man. Right? What well, love? It's, it's kind of confusing, but here's what we see. You read the scriptures, and we see over and over again that God longs for us to understand this topic. He longs for us to get this one. And so we're going to see this again and again as we go through 1 John chapter 4 this morning. This is our main point. Maybe jot this down. It says, when I've experienced God's love, I'm compelled to express it. That's the message we're going to see as we go through these verses this morning. A little bit about the text. The author is the Apostle John. 
Now what's true about the Apostle John is that he spent some time with Jesus. He walked with Jesus for three years. He lived life face to face with Jesus Christ. He saw Jesus Christ go to the cross. We know this about John, that he spent probably 50 years, maybe even more of his life then, teaching people about Jesus, living the life, following Christ and leading others to do the same. But if there's one thing that we need to zero in on about John, it's this. John had expressed the love of Jesus Christ. And John wanted other people not only to experience the love of God, but he wanted people to be able to express the love of God. That's what he writes from. That's his position. And he gets to the end of this letter, chapter 5, verse 13, and it's as though John kind of gives us this summary statement, like, this is why I'm writing this letter to you. And so he says this in, in 1 John uh, chapter 5, verse 13. It says, I write these things to you. This is my motivation. This is my big why. I write these things to you so that, so that you who believe in the name of the Son of God, here it is, so that you may know that you have eternal life. In other words, John is saying, I'm writing to you so that if you would say, yes, I profess faith in Jesus Christ, he's writing to you saying, you can, you can know as you read through this book, you can kind of treat this book even as a test. Okay, yes, that's true of me. Yes, it truly is a part of my life, the things that you describe. Because one thing is for sure, John wanted us to know not only that we ought to experience the love of God, but that that experience that the magnitude of God's love in our lives should lead us to action. We'll see it again and again and again. It's kind of a test. It really is, this book. Use it that way. Let it test the validity of your faith. You may not even be a follower of Christ here this morning, but maybe you've even had this question. You've wondered. You've maybe said to yourself, what does the Bible say to the person who is a Christian? I mean, what are the teachings of the scriptures? What kind of life do they describe a follower of Christ should actually live? What are the things that should be on the name tag right at the top of the person that says, yes, I identify with Jesus Christ? What should define them? So he says this then in verse 7. Again, he's writing beloved, he says to them. He cares about them. Verse 7, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who, has, who loves has been born of God and knows God. And whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. He says, let us love one another. And everybody, you're going to know this, everyone who loves, something's unique about them. They've been born of God. When your friend gives you a call and they say, hey, we ha we've had our baby. Come on up to the hospital. When you go up to the hospital and you see that child, what do you do? You see you see a life. What John is describing is this, that when, you've, when you have the love of God in you, there, there's something that takes place in you. It's like you're born on the, the spiritual front. You've been born of God. It's the exact same language that Jesus used when he talked to Nicodemus. And he said, Nicodemus, you've been born by your mom, yes, but you need to be reborn. You need to have a spiritual birth. And then it says this about this person, not only have they been born of God, that they come to life in God spiritually, but it also says that they know God. And every time that we see that word knows throughout the, throughout the book of 1 John, we know that it's not just talking about that you would know some facts. That you and I would have like this ability to have some kind of mental assent where we would say, yes, I know this and that happened and, and that's great and I kind of put it over there. No. 
In 1 John, we see this. Whenever that word is used, that they know God, it's stronger than that. It's describing this intimate relationship, this relationship with God that it's not just a bunch of facts, but it's a beautiful thing. It's a relationship. And here's why that's important. If you just have a bunch of facts and you kind of go, yes, I believe those things. Yes, those are true, but they're kind of over there. And there's not this intimate like knowledge relationship at a whole different level. Facts will not lead you. They will not compel you to action. But a dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ will do something in you. When God is alive in you, it will birth in you life knowing God. It will compel you. And then he says this in verse 9. It says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. It's like definition time. Here it is. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Notice the kind of love that we see there. It's unconditional. Unconditional love is completely different than love that has conditions. Love that has conditions says this. It says, I will love you if if you'll be ultra-spiritual, if you'll be Mr. or Mrs. Religion, I'll love you then if you do X, Y, and Z. You can think of relationships maybe in your life where you have that. Like, yeah, I'll return love if, if I receive love, right? The love of God is completely, it's unconditional. It looks at you, it looks at me, and it says this, I love you even though. No strings attached. I heard this statement this week. It, it was our sin that put Jesus Christ on the cross and it was his love that kept him there. Think of the cross of Jesus Christ. It is the greatest example of unconditional love. There is no bigger statement of unconditional love. On August 16, 1987, Northwest Airlines Flight 255, it took off from the Detroit airport. You might remember this even. And shortly after that plane took off, it actually crashed to the ground and and in that crash, 155 people died, but one person lived, a four-year-old. Her name was Cecilia. And as they discovered her kind of walking around the wreckage, they didn't believe that she was a part of the crash because they couldn't believe that anyone could have lived, particularly when they saw the bodies of all the other people. And so they thought to themselves, surely this little girl must have come from one of the cars from the kind of the onlookers here at the crash site. But the more that they looked into it, they didn't. They stopped disbelieving her, and they believed, okay, wow, she was a part of this horrific plane crash. And the more that they dug into it, they realized that as the plane was going down, Cecilia's mom took her seatbelt off of her, and she laid her body on top of her young daughter and just tried to protect her, knowing that when this plane crashed, she wanted to take the blow for her daughter. That's unconditional love. Cecilia had nothing to offer her in that moment. When we had nothing to offer, the creator of the universe stepped in for us. Substitutionary, atoning sacrifice. And it's hard to get our minds, isn't it? It's hard, I think, to wrap our minds around the magnitude of the love of God. I love how the psalmist said it in Psalm 103. He said this, he said, as high as the heavens are above the earth. I mean, wow, we can't, we can't wrap our brain around that. He said, so high, so great is your love for 
us. A man by the name of Charles Spurgeon, a famous and influential preacher from the 19th century, he said this, he said, if there's one subject that he would always talk about, but one subject that he felt incapable of talking about, it was the love of God. He said, it makes me back away from the platform utterly ashamed at my poor, feeble words. He said, God's love is the most amazing thing under heaven, if not in all of heaven itself. The Apostle Paul, when he worked with different churches and he traveled around, he prayed for those churches. And he, one of the things that he prayed for them is that they would understand the love of God. Because he knew that if a person could receive and experience the love of God, he knew that it would compel them. And so he prayed, might they understand? And so he said this in Ephesians chapter 3. He said these words, he said, and I pray, or two, he said, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people, here it is, to grasp, just to try to get our minds around the magnitude of it, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses, it's beyond knowledge, that you may be filled to the full measure of all the fullness of God. Paul wanted us to know the magnitude of the love of God because, 1 John 4, when I've experienced the love of God, it compels me to express it. Are you experiencing the love of God? Have you experienced the magnitude of it? Pretend for a minute that this afternoon you go over to the, over to the Henry Dorley Zoo and you go to the desert dome. You ever been in that place? The moment you walk through the door of that place, you get hit with what? Heat. Yeah, it's like, and a smell. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Two things. Didn't think about that. You're right. Yeah. So let's just focus on the heat. Well, we can do the smell too, right? So you walk in, boom, boom, right? It's powerful, isn't it? It's undeniable. Let me ask you, has the force of God's love undeniably landed in your heart? I mean, have you ever just sat and marveled, like Paul said, Lord, it surpasses our knowledge, the love of God. It is so great. It's as though Paul is saying, Christians, when you experience the love of God, it will change you. It will change how you think. It will change how you feel. John goes on to write this in verse 11. He said this. He said, dear friends, again, beloved, since God so loved us, we also, two big words here, he said, we also ought to love one another. The word since is a big word. Since God's loved us, we ought, action, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. He's saying that there's a natural cause and effect. If the love of God has really landed in your heart, it will, it will cause you. The natural effect will be that you and I will passionately love other people. And then notice it says this, you can't see God, but God is made visible by our love. I love how it's said of the early church that it was hard to criticize the early church. These, these first followers of Jesus Christ, it was hard to criticize them because they loved the people around them so well. It's hard to throw stones at a group of people that love the poor the way that they loved the poor. It's the, 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 the love of God. What did it do? It came into them. They experienced it. And then they began to express it. When you and I, when we love people, the watching world sees a visible God. 
His love transforms us. I love in Galatians chapter 5, it talks about the fruits of the Spirit, which just means this. It means what are the things that are evidence of a person has a relationship with Jesus Christ? What's the first one that's listed? Love, right? Jesus said this in John chapter 13, powerful statement. He said, a new command that I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Again, think unconditional. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's like this neon sign saying, Christians, the world, the watching world will know me if they see you love. You want the world to know Jesus Christ, love each other like, 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 like you never thought you could. Love people that you don't love in ways that you never thought you would. When you show someone in need love, you express to them the compassion of God. You see somebody hurting and they see God in an entirely different way. You step across a racial divide and you show the reconciling love of God by your life. It's beautiful. And one of the signs out in the, the care center, just beyond these, these walls here, so this care center that we're constructing for these kids in our city that are in the foster care system so that they can come have a dignified experience and get clothing that they need, right? So I'm, I'm out there for a meeting on Friday morning, and, and I just was looking at one of the boards, and it says this. It says, you are loved, and then around it are all these names that you've written, names of the kids that are currently in the foster care system. And as I sat there in that, in, that, in that place, I thought to myself, what a beautiful picture that this care center is going to be to our city. It's going to say something to our city. Wow, they must have received something great from God to build a very nice little building over there because they wanted to be a blessing to a group of people that are marginalized in our society, right? It says something. And as I sat there, I thought to myself, and I just asked God, I said, God, might this be the first one? God, might this just be the beginning to other projects that you're going to have around here that are going to let the world know that, God, we have received this love from you that is so incredibly amazing. And God, because of it, it compels us. I thought about many of you, and I thought, what are the things that God wants you to start? What are the things that, that no one will ever know about, but God will put you up to? We talked last week about how, boy, don't ignore a nudge from God. When God nudges you, when God prompts you, it takes courage to step into that, doesn't it? It does. And sometimes it's even hard for a season. But when you follow the leadings of God, when God says to you, yes, you've received incredible love from me, this is how I want you to express it, you'll never regret that you did. Never. One of the guys on our elder board relayed this story to us. He just got back from Zambia, and, and he said that he was talking to this Zambian, just a man, a seasoned man, a man of deep faith, and he said, for us not to share the love of God that has changed us, for us to keep that to ourselves, he said it would be utterly selfish. I thought, wow, that's, that's challenging, isn't it? And then these last verses, look what John writes, verse 19, he says this, he says, we love, again, he's up high now again, we love because he first loved us, zooming in verse 20, whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother and sister, he's going to give us a practical example, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Imagine for a second if Eli and the band, after they finished singing this morning, 
If they left the stage and then instead of me coming out, nobody came out. And you kind of sat here for a little bit and you talked amongst yourselves. And then finally I came out, I showed up. And the first thing that I said to you was this, you'll never believe what happened to me this morning. And you might have noticed I had a little dirt on my face and just looked a little disheveled. And, and I said to you, you'll never believe what happened to me. The reason I'm late is because on the way here, my car got a flat tire. And so I was changing the flat tire. And while I was doing that, one of the lug nuts rolled into the street. And so I walked over to pick it up. And as I picked it up, I looked up and right before me was a cement truck. And it hit me. My face hit the bumper of the cement truck. It ran me completely over. Dually wheels in the back. Both of them hit me. They ran me right over. Now, if I said that to you, you would hopefully look at me and say, he's a liar. <laughs> the truth is not in him. Because here's the thing. If a cement truck hit me, if the force of a cement truck hit me, I would look different. John is saying to us this morning, 1 John 4, if the love of Jesus Christ has hit you, if you've experienced his grace, the love that's beyond our imagination, he says it will compel you to action. It will move you. Let me ask you just a couple of questions just to try to make this text um, kind of drive it home. Here's the first one. Have you received God's love? Have you received it? I mean, when I describe that love of another kind, really, where you don't have to perform for God, but it's unconditional. Have you received that kind of love? You can do that this morning. And when you do, you enter into this freedom and life that you would never experience apart from Jesus Christ. I love this. This is John chapter 15, verse 12. Jesus said these words. These were so convicting to me this week. He said, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. So if you're a Christian, this one's for us. Love each other as I have loved you. And you should think, neon sign after those words, that means unconditionally. And the question that got me this week was this. Jeff, how are you doing at loving people that will not love you back? How are you doing at loving people or in situations where you're going to do something for someone, but they have no power to do anything that will actually benefit you back? How are you doing in those situations? Jeff, are you compelled to love others conditionally? Because if the love of God is in you, it will mark you. And one of the things that will identify you, Jeff, that should grow up the list, you and I, is the word love. Might we be known by that? Let me ask you, are you compelled to love others? Or is there someone in your life that you would say, I hate them? I hate them. I don't want anything to do with them. I don't want to call them back. I don't want to answer their text. I just, I just, uh. Do you have anybody in your life like that? And maybe God would say to you this morning that he would give you that nudge that we talk about. And he would say, I want you to love them. Because if you hate them, chances are a lot of people hate them, frankly, right? But what would happen in their life if they began to see that you love them? And they know who you love. They know who you've received great love from. How might they begin to look at your God differently, my God differently? Is there anybody in your life that God would say this morning, I want you to love them. Be compelled to do that because of the grace that you've received. And it might be some small things. It might even be you might look at your day today and this week and just go, that's a small way I can show love. 
That's what we're to be known for. That's the thing that Jesus should say, yes, my Christians, yes, the followers of Christ, it's love. That defines them. Or maybe it's something big, and God's going to prompt you on something big. This is an extravagant way that I can love other people. What's the one word that defines you? Because here's what is true for each one of us. Love can. Love can define us. It really can. And so let's pray this morning, and let's just say, God, might we take this love that we've experienced, and Lord, might we be compelled to express it. So yeah, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning, Lord. I thank you for 1 John chapter 4. I thank you for the fact, Lord, that you challenge us, Lord, Lord, that you call us. And you don't call us to small things, but you say, you say, church, look at your city and be a blessing to it. Tackle one thing and then move on to the next thing and say, okay, God, what's the next thing that you would long for us to do to be an incredible blessing? And so, God, help us to think those ways as a church, but as individuals, Lord. Who are the people, God, that you would bring to us that because of the love that we've experienced, God, we would be compelled to express it. And then, Father, I think of the person who's here this morning. This might be you today. And you would say you've never experienced the incredible love of God. Right now, just where you're sitting, you can say to God, you can say, you know what? I've been trying to perform for you, but I realized this morning that what you give me is a free gift. It is unconditional, no strings attached. And right now, just on your own, you can call out to God and say, I believe that you died for me, that you forgive me, and that you call me to new life. And when you do that, you're a child of the living God. Lord, we love you, and uh, we pray in your name. We pray you'd be honored now as we worship. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Great. Let's stand together, church.